in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 25 to 27, we read these words. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so this morning, I wish to bring you a message about baptism, since baptism is the occasion that we are going to, by God's grace and His will, celebrate this morning. Baptism. So Mario Ramos is sitting here in front, and Daryl Shee, who's on my left, their applications for membership yesterday at the members' meeting for Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church were accepted. And today, when they take the Lord's table, become, as it were, officially members of our church and take, receive the right hand of fellowship from us. What we did yesterday was rather momentous. We agreed before the Lord Jesus Christ that both of these men have shown that they've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to extending to both of you that right hand of fellowship at the conclusion of today's worship. For one of them, though, there is an act yet to be performed. There is something missing, nothing that is hard to find, nothing expensive to buy. What is missing is very important, but very simple to attain. It's important because the Lord Jesus Christ commands it, and it's simple to attain because our Lord Jesus Christ provides it. All that to lead up to that Mario Ramos has asked to be baptized today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And with God's blessing, in a little while, Pastor Owens will do just that. So to prepare us for this occasion, which we are setting aside today just to celebrate this great entrance into the command, the ordinance of the Lord Jesus Christ, to prepare us, I want to bring a message from the Scriptures on what this is all about. What are we doing here this morning? What is baptism? Why is baptism important? Does baptism actually do anything, or is it just a rite that we do because churches for centuries have done this? Well, to understand baptism, the first thing we really have to understand is the gospel itself. We need to understand the gospel before we can understand baptism because baptism is a live portrayal of the gospel. Baptism portrays before your very eyes this gospel on which we stand. So let's take a few moments before we speak about baptism itself and the act of baptism and its meaning. Let's be sure we know what its foundation is. The gospel. What is the gospel? Well, gospel means good news. Euangelion in the Greek, it means simply good news. As King David, long before Jesus Christ came to earth, God became flesh in him. Saw a runner coming to him after his generals had fought a battle. He said, this man is coming with euangelion. He's coming with gospel. He's coming with good news. Ostensibly, say the battle's been won. Gospel simply means, in its definition, good news. Glad tidings. What is the gospel, though? There's more to it than that. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, gives us one of the most full and succinct definitions. There in one verse, one sentence, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. The gospel is good news. That's what the word means, good news. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, God became man. And as we like to say it, he put on flesh. God in Christ put on flesh. The Apostle John writes in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. Well, the Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the very Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, always was God, always will be God, never was other than God. Jesus, God in the flesh, as a man, lived perfectly before God. The gospel is this good news, that Jesus Christ lived as a man before God. And we need to ask ourselves, why? Why did he do this? Why would God do such a thing as that? Why would God have his eternal son set aside his glory for a time and go from heaven to earth and become like us? But for sin. For he never sinned. But why would God do that? Why would God's Son vacate for that short time his throne and remove himself from the presence of angels, eternally worshiping him, calling out his praises, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and come here to earth and walk amongst men who he created? And hear from them, instead of the angels' praises, hear derision and insults. Why would God do such a thing as that? The grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the eternal plan of God. Oh, for 20 centuries, the church has worked on this question. And I would agree with all of those. It is the grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the eternal plan of God that in Christ, God becomes flesh. That Christ as man lives that perfect life. And this is good news indeed. How is that good news? This euangelion, this good news, this wonderful thing that we are going to celebrate in the baptism in a short time. Well, the short answer for why this is necessary is that man sinned. In Adam, we all sinned. That's Adam in the garden, garden sinning on behalf of all of us when he disobeyed God's one rule, his one negative command of this tree you shall not eat. And from that tree, he did eat. Adam sinned on behalf of us all. And so, a man must come and live without sin on behalf of us all. As Adam represented us, so Jesus Christ represents us. As Adam represented us in sinning, Jesus Christ represents us in his perfections. And this is good news. The gospel is good news because Jesus, fully man, and so could represent man, and yet was always fully God. He was man, he was God, never the twain were confused. He was always that. And because he was fully God, he could provide a perfect satisfaction to God for the people that he represents. 
He can make a full satisfaction for his people's sins. Now this is good news. This is indeed glad tidings. This is good news because this is something that you or I cannot do. Not even close. In the book of James we read that if you would try to save yourself by obeying the law, you can try, but you have to obey the entire law. All of it. Without fail. With every breath, with every thought, with every action, with every motive, with every aspiration. Follow God's law. And every thought has to be as holy as God himself. Well, of course, no one can do this. The slightest deviation, and you've failed. And the price you owe for that failure is something you could never pay. The wages of sin is death. Any sin. All sin. The goodness of the gospel is that that's what Jesus paid. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. The gospel is good news. It is good news because God became man in the flesh. God became man in Jesus Christ. As man, Jesus Christ represented us and paid for our sins when he suffered and died on the cross. And there God poured out his wrath for your sin on him who knew no sin. Good news, because this is something you could not do. It's a price you could never pay. The gospel is good news, and the gospel, as we read in Romans 1.16, is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. This is why the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. I'm not ashamed because it accomplishes what God set it out to accomplish. God's word never returns to him without accomplishing that for which he sent it. The gospel is the power of God to save sinners to save sinners from the wrath of God. The gospel is the power of God to become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God for him to live a perfect life of perfect holiness before God. The gospel is the power of God to lay my sins on Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for Jesus' sacrifice to be applied to all my sin and for all of his sacrifice to be applied to sin because Jesus Christ owed no, sacrifice, owed no penalty for sin for himself. Because we say again and again, and we cannot be reminded enough times, he never sinned. And therefore, all of him, all of his perfection, can be applied to you and to my sins. For none was owed for his own the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He was raised for our justification, says the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Raised for our justification. He was dead. He was buried. And on the third day, God, by his mighty power, raised him up from the dead. It's the power of God to sanctify us in this life. It's the power of God to make us more like Jesus Christ in this life. We read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 of the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. The gospel is the power of God to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus Christ as we walk through this world.
And that power is no less than the power that God exerted when he raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That power worked towards those who believe to sanctify them, to make you holy and like Christ more and more in this life. Do we ever get to the end of that process? No. We cannot become like Jesus now in this life. We will not stop in our sin in this life. But the gospel is the power of God to forgive your sins if you put your faith and your trust and your hope in Him, in Jesus Christ. This is good news. It's the power of God and it's good news and the gospel is all this and it is more than all this. The gospel is a summons. The gospel is a summons to you from the great God of heaven. He who created everything by the power of His word, by the mere exertion of His will, when He said, let there be and all was from nothing that had been before, that God summons us to himself. And one of the greatest places we have in the Bible that tells us this is the prophet Isaiah in the 55th, 55th chapter of Isaiah. It starts out where he says, come, and some of the, your translations will say ho or hoy or something like this. This pleading, beckoning, as, as it were, of calling men. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is what we can call the free offer of forgiveness of sins. And by that forgiveness, you would have peace with God. As the apostle says in Romans chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The prophet Isaiah says, come. Come, it is God who beckons you. It is God who says, Ho, come to these waters. Come to the waters that Jesus Christ told the Samaritan woman, if you drink of these waters, you will never again thirst. Come to the waters, and if you have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money, without price. Come, the God of heaven beckons you and calls you and summons you to himself. The gospel is a summons. Today's world, we look for the catch, don't we? We look for the fine print. We're afraid to click that button because we might end up in a subscription that will never fail and never forget what our credit card number is. We look for the interest rates that are going to go up out of and go skyrocket beyond anything we could ever pay. Because if this is not God, as Jesus Christ said, I speak openly. I spoke openly in the temple. I spoke and I showed you who God was. I told you about God clearly and plainly. There's no catch. The gospel has no hidden fees. The Lord God says, for my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. God is pure and open and honest, if you will. It tells you plainly what this summons is about. He says, when he says, he who has no money, he who has no ability, come. He means if you have nothing in your hand, come and buy wine and milk of the highest quality the universe could imagine. And he means it exactly the way he says it. The purchase is without money. And that's just what he means. There's no catch. Come to the checkout and tell the clerk that you want the best wine and milk there is in all the universe. And he says, well, here it is. I hope you enjoy it. It's the finest in all creation. 
Now, how will you pay for that? Would that be on your Visa card? And you say, no. No, I have no money. I have nothing to offer. My payment is Isaiah 55.1. Because the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, told me to come here. And told me with my empty hand, this is what I could purchase. Well, of course, we don't purchase it, do we? We have nothing to purchase it with. It's speaking of a salvation that was purchased for us. We, the passive recipient of it. Jesus began his public ministry with a summons. You know, if Isaiah, centuries before Jesus Christ, says, come to the waters, if you thirst, if you have no money, you're in the right condition to come here, Jesus Christ also summons. He began his public ministry. We read in Matthew's and then Mark's Gospels. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is this not like the prophet Isaiah calling out this summons to tell you to come? He said in another place, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is those waters. The gospel is that living water. The gospel is that redemption, that salvation that you cannot buy. And yet Jesus, or the God, well, Jesus calls you to come and have it. Repent of your sins. Believe that God in and by the gospel has done something about your sins. Where was the purchase made? Well, God demands a price for our sins. God demands a price for your sins, for every one of them. Purchase was made by Christ. By Christ Jesus and He alone at the cross and on the cross alone. God sent His Son to the cross, whereas the Apostle Peter puts it, He became a curse for us. That's 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, that you might be able to answer that summons, that you might be able to grasp hold of this good news, this gospel, the payment for which you couldn't even begin that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And this is why Isaiah can summon you to the Gospel, knowing you have only empty hands. Nothing in my hand I bring, but only to the, thy cross I cling. In fact, empty hands are demanded of us, because the Gospel means that God and God alone has done all that is needed for your salvation in Christ, and in Christ alone. There's nothing you can add to it, Trying to add to it is actually a denial of the gospel itself. Some people try to front load the gospel by making themselves worthy. I'll get right with God, and then I'll repent, and then I'll become a Christian. But I have to get right first. But then if you get right first, I would ask you, repent of what? You've just gotten right. How would you repent and believe the gospel if you've gotten yourself right? You are your own gospel. It just doesn't work. You've made yourself perfect, but in God's sight, in God's infinitely holy and righteous sight, could you imagine that and then say, well, I'm all set? Well, no, we couldn't. We couldn't. The price was paid by Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing, nothing we must try to add to it. And the good news, because the price for your redemption is infinite. The price for your redemption is beyond imagining. 
And we don't want to go and to try to even describe this morning the sufferings of Jesus Christ on the cross, and especially that moment when God turned away from him, having poured his wrath upon him and made him to be sin for us. That's the price. What would you add to that? What account would you start investing in? The someday with compound interest would even begin. It's incalculably small. It's impossibly small. Anything that we could add to this. Anything we could try to do. Too many people think, well, I'll do this. I'll believe in this Jesus. He seems pretty good, but let me get okay first. Well, you're not okay. You're not going to make yourself okay. It cannot happen. And that's good news. Because God who summons you doesn't summon you for no reason. It's not a futile thing to come to God because God has called you to Him. He will do as He says. He will give what He promises. And in Christ Jesus, all God's promises are what? They are yes and amen. Now only Jesus can say He was right with God. Only Jesus is God's beloved Son in whom he said, I am well pleased. Only Jesus as a man was tempted in all the ways that we are and is yet without sin. And as the hymn says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all because you'll never be better. It's good news. It's good news because this is exactly what God addresses in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. Good news, and it's a summons. God calls each of us to come to Him. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, this summons is not for nothing. These are not just words that I'm speaking. These are the words of God. As ill-suited as my tongue might be to proclaim the grace and the goodness of this God, yet these are the words that He has given us in the Scriptures. It's no futile thing to come to Him. He will give what His Scriptures promise. Jesus Christ said, I did not come to call, He did not come to summon the righteous, by which He means the self-righteous, by which He means those who might try to make themselves righteous, get themselves right before they come to God, or not come to God at all because they think they're okay. I did not come to call them, but sinners to repentance. The Apostle Paul again says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, even the slavery of your own effort to pay the price that only Jesus Christ paid. Even the slavery of your own striving to make yourself right with God by your own effort, by your own righteousness, by your own holiness. Because, dear ones, you cannot do it. It will not happen. Jesus gives a personal summons. He says to each one. He says, come to me. This is Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 28, if you want to look it up after the service. Read this again and again. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Put your name in that. Come to me, blank, put in your name. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is an easy yoke because by faith in him, the heavy lifting was done by him on the cross. This is why the yoke is easy. Because of him. Why is the burden light? Because he took your punishment on himself and so he has freed you from the burden of worrying about God's wrath because his wrath was poured on him and therefore will not be upon you. So the gospel is this beautiful good news of God. That God became flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as a man lived a perfect life, was a perfect sacrifice, gave himself as a sacrifice for your sins. God, having pleased with the sacrifice, raised him from the dead to certify and give us confidence that the sacrifice was accepted. And if you believe in him, he's your sacrifice. You are not your sacrifice. He is your sacrifice, your once for all sacrifice. And he calls you to come. Will you not come to him? Will you not put your faith in him, in Jesus Christ, who paid the purchase price, that you may have wine and milk without end, that you may know joy in the presence of the Lord forever? This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ, by God's good and perfect will, because of the great love with which he loved us, gave his only begotten son to die for your sins, to be your sacrifice. This is good news. And the power of God can transform you. The power of God can raise you up from where you are now. As the Apostle Paul says to the believer, you've been raised with Christ. You've been resurrected already. So sure are God's promises. The, the prophet calls out, come. He says, come to the waters. Jesus Christ says to you, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's the gospel. Baptism. God willing, in a few moments, I'm going to step down from this pulpit and we are going to celebrate a baptism. What is baptism? Well, baptism... It's a dunking into the waters. But that's as simplest. Of course, it is that in the physical sense. Baptism is one of two ordinances that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church. So it's fully half of the ordinances that the church has. There's the Lord's table. And the Lord's table will continue until Jesus Christ returns. And then there's baptism. And that's a one-time ceremony of public testimony. A one-time reenactment for the baptismal candidate of this gospel that I just described or told you of. Now without the latter, without the baptism, the one-time ceremony of public testimony, without that, the former cannot be had. Because those who come to the Lord's table, which is a declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ, must have followed him in the baptismal waters. Jesus Christ himself having been baptized. And so we rejoice to see this day. We rejoice to have a brother be able to come and take the bread and wine, affirming with us the Lord's death until he comes, because he's going to be baptized in a few moments. What is baptism? Well, as a result of the gospel, we've heard the testimonies. 
And we say, yes, we affirm this one to be a Christian. He's freely entering into membership in this particular fellowship, freely entering into the baptismal waters because of that gospel. And Peter points out that in baptism, that the water does not remove, the, is, is not meant to remove filth from the water or from the body. The water might do that because of its physical properties. That may well happen. But what, is, what it is, is the outward evidence of a clean conscience before God. A clean conscience before God. And how is this possible? Again, because Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus Christ is your sacrifice. Because all your sins have been answered. And this is what baptism represents, or one of the things it represents. That the conscience is clean before God, not because of anything I did or you did, but because of what Christ did. Titus chapter 3 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and that's Jesus Christ, He saved us not because of the works, works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so washed by the Holy Spirit, cleansed by Him, as He gives faith to believe this wonderful news, reenacted in the physical waters, because more importantly, the spiritual waters have cleansed you of your sin by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The conscience cleansed by the Spirit of God. And so what is baptism? Well, it's an order, an ordinance of the Lord Jesus Christ, a command He gave to the church. We said to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Baptism is a reenactment of the gospel, a visual portrayal of God's saving work in Jesus Christ as the baptismal candidate follows Jesus Christ in baptism and more importantly follows Him not just as Jesus Christ was baptized in the Jordan River and Mario would be baptized in the baptistry behind me, but more importantly, following Jesus Christ in his death. Because the Christian has what? Died to self. To have new life in God. As Jesus Christ was put in the ground after he suffered for sin, so the baptismal candidate goes under the water, following him down. And then God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, God willing, the baptismal candidate will be lifted from the waters. He's already been raised from the dead because of faith in Jesus Christ and lifted out from the waters to go forth in new life and to follow in his master's footsteps. Been raised with Christ already by faith will be reenacted in a few moments. What is baptism? It's a reenactment of the entire gospel. It's a public declaration of faith in Christ Jesus. It is the church's affirmation that the testimony we heard for Jesus Christ is true and valid. We affirm that this one has been given new birth. It's our public announcement that the testimony we heard of Christ Jesus appears by every biblical test to be true and valid and genuine. A declaration 
that the one is a disciple of Jesus Christ, has committed his whole life to following him. And the church declares the same, that we with you will follow Christ. We will do this together. And by the authority of Scripture, as Jesus Christ said, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So by that authority, by the authority Jesus Christ gave us, we call on heaven to agree with us as we go into this baptismal ceremony today. So yesterday we met in Jesus' name and in Jesus' presence. We followed his word in the Bible as we brought Daryl Shee and Mara Ramos into membership. We were blessed by your desire to join with us, to be a part of gospel ministry here in this place. We look forward to watching you both grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and to seeing how you will help us to grow with you. We trust that God will be blessed as we once again follow the Lord Jesus Christ's command in this baptismal ceremony as we reenact this good news of the gospel and see once again the power of God in the life of a believer. Amen?